How are you guys doing today? I heard like the two people on this side and a few over here. Let me hear it one more time. How are y'all doing today? There we go. You see, that, didn't that sound so much better? Maybe it's just me. I don't know. But I want to thank you guys so much for being here. I have the honor and the privilege of introducing our speaker this morning. And I'm, I'm going I'm to I'm hype her up a little because uh, this woman, she's, she's incredible. Uh, definitely one of the biggest inspirations I ever got, uh, ever had here at PUC. You can see her love for God. You can see her love for people. But once, man, she gets going. Once she starts talking about Job, there's no, there's no end to it. There's no end to it. It's amazing. Trust me. If you, have, if, if any of you guys haven't taken a class from Dr. Sheldon, I suggest you do. All right. But I'm gonna give you guys a quick disclaimer because this is probably one of the cutest things I've ever seen, and I've never told her this. So. I'm sorry. <laughs> but basically, so I, I've, been, I've taken several classes from Dr. Sheldon, right? And one of the greatest things that I've ever noticed is when she writes on the board. You guys know what I'm talking about. Well, she'll write something and it's a little too high and she'll erase it because she, she needs to be able to reach so she'll write it a little lower. Um, the first time I ever noticed that, I was like, man, this is so great. <laughs> but, but honestly, you know, um, I'm so thankful for her mentorship. I'm so thankful for, you know, the amazing teaching that, that she has given to, to me and for, you know, on behalf of all of us. Thank you, Dr. Sheldon, so much. So without further ado, everyone, if we can give a round of applause to our speaker, Dr. Jean Sheldon. Thank you, Kevin. <laughs> I mean it. <laughs> and thank you, PUC class of 2018, for inviting me to speak this milestone of your lives. I am humbled and honored. And thank you, members of the board, administration, faculty, staff, parents of the graduates, and their friends, for your service to this class and for your presence here this morning. So here you are, PUC class of 2018, facing graduation and an uncertain future. Fluctuating economic stability, a deeply divided America, socially, politically, and religiously. A vocal large portion of society that rejects the immigrant, mistreats our black brothers and sisters, prefers privilege over compassion, power over equality, and rejects our other siblings and steadily marches increasingly to the beat of violence. And in many painful ways, large portions of Christianity, including Adventism, echoes these trends. What are you to do in the face of these issues? What will you do knowing the God whom Jesus revealed as love? I submit to you this morning that if you have chosen to follow Jesus, you will choose to live your life the way he lived it, doing justice, loving mercy, and walking humbly with his Father and also among human beings. 
Some years ago, with a freshly minted master's degree in religion, I flew to an Adventist college halfway around the world. I looked forward to teaching what I assumed would be Seventh-day Adventist Christian students preparing for service. The next morning, the academic dean met me to introduce me to the students. As we walked toward the classroom, he filled me in on details about the college. We have only 100 students, he told me. Of those, 10 are Adventists. Another 10 are Christians of various faiths, and the remainder are secular or espouse other religions. Your first class, he continued, is SDA beliefs. We require it of all our graduates, and they hate it. They don't want to take it, so they wait until their last quarter to register for it. <clears throat> His words raised a concern I'd had before I left the States. Since my conversion at age 14, I had espoused a picture of God that matched John's statement in 1 John 4.8, God is love. But in attempting to share him with anyone I could, I found many of my brothers and sisters reticent, even resistant. And often I'd heard of newly baptized believers getting mistreated by well-meaning church members, and so my burning question, one that I begged my friends back home to answer, was what should I do when I share God with my students and they meet the same resistance? What if I teach students of other faiths who decide to join my faith, but who meet unkind treatment and get discouraged? Would it not be better for them not to join at all? Once I had the class SDA beliefs to myself, I discovered that of the 10 students in the class, eight were Adventists and two were Christians of other faiths. I decided that these two were scouts, checking out the new teacher. So I decided to confront their fears. I'm not here, I announced, to make you Seventh-day Adventists. I will acquaint you with my beliefs, but you are free to choose however you want. Little did I know how pertinent my words would be to them. The conference where the college was located, I learned, found it difficult to get baptisms, so the members had devised a unique evangelistic strategy they targeted the students of their four or five Adventist middle schools. The teachers acted as evangelists, and their method? <clears throat> Coercion. Teachers badgered and conjoled their students, telling them they had to get baptized into the church. Some held hellfire over their heads if they didn't join. Others threatened to fail them in their classes. Consequently, the conference could boast that 3,000 souls were won every year what it didn't admit so readily was that 3,000 recently baptized middle school students every, left Adventism along with middle school every year. I didn't blame the national workers. I blamed other factors like white American missionaries who put pressure on the conference and who sometimes brought a legalistic form of religion with them to impose on the culture. But I now understood why the college students, most of whom had attended Adventist middle schools, resisted taking a class that spelled coercion to them. 
About two or three weeks into the quarter, Henry, one of the scouts, dropped the class. The other scout defended Sunday as the right day of worship on an essay for which I gave him an A, since it was well written and I believe in respecting another's views. At the end of autumn quarter, I turned my grades in, but before I could plan my winter quarters classes, I met the academic dean who asked if I would teach SDA beliefs again winter quarter. Apparently, 25 students had banded together and asked that I teach the class again to them. The two scouts must have given a positive report. <laughs> On the first day of the class, I once again made my announcement. I'm not here to make you Seventh-day Adventists, but to share my beliefs. The former scout, Henry, sat on the front row. In the previous quarter, he had sat in the back. One day after class, Henry followed me out the door and said, Professor Sheldon, do you ever give students Bible studies? Yes, I replied cautiously. Well, he said, I would like to study the Bible with you. I hesitated for a moment. Here again was the question for which I had not yet found a satisfactory answer. But studying the Bible didn't mean that Henry would want baptism. So I said, sure, we can study the Bible together. We began the studies the next week. About three or four classes into the quarter, Henry followed me out again after class. Professor Sheldon, he said, I think the Holy Spirit is telling me I should get baptized. Well, Henry, I said, that's a pretty major decision to make. Perhaps you should study the Bible some more before you make it. But I really feel I should be baptized, he protested. Two weeks later, during our study of scripture, he made an announcement. Professor Sheldon, I'm going to be baptized. He had gone to the church pastor and persuaded him to baptize them. Back then, women weren't allowed to baptize anyone. So my first convert at that college pushed his way back this reluctant wisdom, witness and into the baptismal tank. And sure enough, within short order, he got hurt by a well-meaning church member who berated him for coming to God's house without a tie. Despite the fact that the pastor who baptized him never wore one either, preferring to dress in native attire. During that quarter, others in the SDA belief class became converted, one of whom was Daniel. For nine years, Daniel had attended Adventist middle schools, resisting every altar call, resisting his teacher's pressures to join the church. On the college campus, teachers knew him to be considerate and polite, but in my class, he quietly undermined what I said, fueling ripples of mirth among his classmates. I taught it above it all, ignoring it. At the beginning of the quarter, I invited the students to write an essay describing their picture of God. If you don't believe in God, I told them, just describe him as if you did believe him. I took the results home to read and found that most of them gave a portrayal they had learned in school. Then I came to Daniel's. God is a toy maker, he began his essay, who makes human beings to be his toys. If they do what he wants, he keeps them. If they don't obey him, he destroys them. His stark description made me catch my breath. This portrayal of God was not likely merely taught him. It was the God he had observed also in action. I wondered what Daniel would do with the picture of God I would soon be sharing with the class. 
A few days later, I brought the students through the plan of salvation. I finished the class with a question. What will God do to those who don't want his love? Up to this moment in class, Daniel had never spoken out once. But now he said very loudly and clearly, he'll destroy them. Will he? I asked. Will he? Daniel cocked his head with a questioning look. The next class period, I explained that those who reject God's love and mercy will die as Jesus died, as a result of sin, not at the hands of an angry God. I watched Daniel's walls of resistance crumble. In his culture, it was considered most shameful for a man to cry, so Daniel covered his face with his notebook to hide his tears. The next class, he bought a, brought a Bible for the first time and looked at every text we studied. A few days later, I observed him standing up in class to help his classmates find the texts in their body, Bibles while they looked at him in amazement. But I didn't invite him or the others to study with me or to consider baptism for fear they would get hurt and leave. Nearly two years went by, and I still wrestled with the issue of bringing my students to immersion in God's love versus bringing them into the church. Meanwhile, I had gotten accepted into a doctoral program and decided to translate Luke's gospel in partial preparation for it. In a short time, I came to chapter 5. Jesus was healing the people who thronged around him on the shores of Galilee. Offshore to short ways, Peter sat in his boat, mending his net after a long, fruitless night of fishing. The people crowded Jesus so badly that he couldn't teach them, so he waded out into the lake and asked Peter to borrow his boat. Peter complied, and Jesus taught the people from the boat. Soon the sun began mercilessly beating down, so Jesus dismissed the crowds and turned to Peter. Go out to the deep water and drop your nets for a catch. The scene felt very familiar with, to me. Where I lived bordered a sea, and I had colleagues who loved to go fishing at night. They assured me that you could only catch fish at night because during the day the sun drove the fish to deeper, cooler waters. They would leave shore about 10 o'clock and fish with nets until 2 in the morning. Then they would bring home their catch and enjoy an early breakfast before going to bed and sleeping until noon. As I read Jesus' words to Peter, I imagined the seasoned fisherman shaking his head and thinking, this man seems to know a lot about how to do miracles of healing, but he knows nothing about fishing. Out loud he said, Master, we worked hard all night and caught nothing. But because you say so, I'll drop the nets. The result caught Peter by surprise as the nets decided, started to break from the weight of so many fish. Now we know that perhaps it was because Peter had gone out into the deeper part of the sea where the fish had gone to escape the heat. However, Peter, a skilled lifelong fisherman, seemed to think it was a miracle. Falling at Jesus' feet, he begs him to leave because he is a sinful man. Jesus says, don't be afraid. From now on, you will be fishing for people. Trust Jesus to take a familiar scene of coercion and death and use it to convey love, freedom, and new life. This is not the only time he does this. When I read Jesus' words to Peter, I suddenly had an epiphany. 
I saw this story as an enacted parable, a parable acted out that foretold Peter's future. Someday Peter and his friends would hide in a room with the door barred, afraid for their lives. Jesus would lie dead in a tomb. It was the hottest time of their lives when to follow Jesus could mean persecution and death. Yet in that intense time, Peter would preach his Pentecost sermon and win 3,000 people to follow Jesus. Despite the cost of losing James, one of his best friends, he would press on until he laid down his own life in crucifixion. I got it. It wasn't for me to decide whether my students should be Adventists or not. Regardless of the heat from unloving church members, I was to open the doors wide. I bowed my head and said, okay, God, they're yours. I trust them with you. The next day, I approached Daniel and asked him, would you like to study the Bible with me and prepare for baptism? His face lit up. Yes, he said eagerly, yes, I would. Within the next few months, five more of my students were baptized. Before I left that area, I had given Bible studies to six, four, six, form six students who asked to study with me as a result of the week of prayer I gave and the witness of my own students. And the heat, the college president, president took me aside and told me he was glad I was leaving because my witness to God made him nervous. He assured me that I would never again teach for an Adventist institution. Somewhere something went wrong with his plans. PUC class of 2018, this institution's motto is, they shall all be taught of God. In the Bible, that can either be taught by God or taught about God. I trust that here at PUC, it has been both. Here you have learned to follow Jesus in his ministry to others. You have learned wholeness, integrity, service, and stewardship diversity, and our Adventist heritage. Go forward, holding on to the values you have gained. Go in the heat of the day and come alongside those who believe differently than you do. Love the immigrants as yourselves, as Deuteronomy 19, 33-34 commands. Work for gender equality, uphold black lives, and seek to stop violence and discrimination. Respect your LGBTQ plus neighbors. Love and serve everyone, regardless of how society views or treats them. At the wrong time, in the wrong place, when it's too hot, cast the net of God's love into the deep of human suffering and draw them to Jesus and his family. Love the world as God has so loved it, and show us how to do it. May God bless you, PUC class of 2018.